Hello, everyone. I'm Asha Nayaswamy, and this is my friend Kishama Kellogg, and we are here to talk to you. The millennial is about to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, elder over here is about to learn something she doesn't know. Uh, Kishama, as you know from the last two interviews, you may know, has spent uh, 10 years. Is it 10 years since you started teaching? A little more, but yeah, roughly. Yeah, she's been teaching in Ananda's school. First, she was in our K through eight school with second, first and second graders. And now she's the director of our fledgling high school. Our high school is flourishing, but it's still in its early stages. So, Kishama, I wanted to start, and maybe I'll ask you this, but you tell me. Uh, did you have a, an understanding before you started teaching that children was, uh, young people and children was going to be your avenue of service. Did you know that before you started? Maybe I had inklings. I, um, growing up, my, my farthest back memory of what I wanted to do with my life was something in the realm of social service. Um, and I thought that that would take the form of maybe social work here in the U.S. or um, maybe some kind of international uh, nonprofit work uh, in the developing world. Um, I looked at maybe serving through um, a whole bunch of different organizations uh, globally, but I thought that that was the path that I was headed towards. And people asked me often um, my educational background prior to teaching um, was Spanish and people always asked, are you going to teach? And my response was always absolutely not. No. <laughs> um, and at some point I started to realize that the inspiration um, that I felt had a lot to do with young people. And, um, and then things started to snowball and the guidance and direction started pointing me towards education. Um, but no, I didn't know that that was what I would do. I, I, in my own life, I can see that I had a consistent thread of inspiration that I kept pasting on different forms. Mm -hmm. As opportunities came, I could see Swami said something about Master once that Master responded to opportunities that were presented to him if they were in tune with his essential vibration. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what you're describing, which is you knew what you wanted, it just kept shifting form. And I think also um, my, my magnetism or um, Guru's guidance always gave me experiences. Um, so that I would have these touch points to look back on about either my own childhood or um, experiences of heart opening and service to other young people or things like that. So there was all this guidance, whether I recognized it or not. Exactly. We're following the breadcrumbs, even though the breadcrumbs. <laughs> yeah. I remember a conversation we had when you were making the decision to, to move to Palo Alto, which you had referred to in a previous interview and become a teacher. And I remember a dilemma you faced, which is to find yourself, because we're in Palo Alto, ours is a tuition-based school. And even though we keep our tuition as low as we can, we have a very generous scholarship policy. You are dealing essentially with a privileged population, not an underprivileged one. And I remember that being a dilemma for you. Do I remember that correctly? Yeah, and it's, you know, it's still something that I, I sit back and look at uh, now and again. I had, 
I had the gift of a conversation um, with someone early on in, in that process because I, I really was looking at, um, even when I said I would come down and, and train in the school and the thought in my mind was, I'll gather these tools and then I will take those um, to Latin America, India somewhere and establish something, something else. Um, or help with something else. And I was chatting with, with someone and they said, you know, try to reframe it and look at it a little bit differently because um, the souls that you're impacting, whatever their socioeconomic status, if they are gifted with an, uh, an education that is consciousness expanding, um, they will be empowered in their lives to create the ripple effect, um, and who knows, who knows where these these young people will go? They will become community leaders. Um, you know, they'll they'll find their way into service to their their own journey and their communities, whether that's local or global, in countless ways. And if they're alive inside and have a connection to um, their own dharma, their own destiny. Um, they will be able to give back. And maybe in some cases, having this level of, of privilege will enable them to not just capitalize on it for themselves, but also become greater uh, channels for service into the world. And hearing that, there was something in me that shifted in my relationship to this, but also thinking about all of the children that I've had the privilege of, of learning with and knowing and loving. Um, no matter what our outer circumstances, we all as souls crave the same level of love and understanding. And so I found tremendous fulfillment here, uh, even though it, it wasn't my original thought of serving um, in much poorer or um, less, less affluent areas. You know, I, I don't want to interject too long, but this is you're actually what you're actually speaking to is you're speaking to verses in the Bhagavad Gita mm. that basically say that every soul has their own dharma. And so we have a theory about what our dharma is, but somehow we also get guided into the right one. And there's also there's also a truth here. And of course, this again, I want to caveat this by saying everybody has their own dharma, but we tend to serve, we tend to stand where we stand and turn around and serve right next to us. You know, sometimes people are drawn to, to, to into a world that is very different from the world that they came from, but we always serve in the way that is also going to liberate us. And that's, and that's how Dharma is determined. You know, so you yourself have the capacity to be a very magnetic leader and you have, you have many fine qualities. I, I won't embarrass you by listing them all. <laughs> but so it's, it's not surprising to me that your Dharma is you're able to give a great deal of who you really are to people who have that same potential in this particular way. I mean, that's one way to think about it. Now, I'm going to switch it, though, to something else, because I remember, as I recall this decade, decade ago conversation with you, I was talking about the difference between being a good teacher in any system, of which there are many, many. Yesterday, we talked to Lakshmi Lapine, and she is a very good teacher in the public school system, does very good work as opposed to serving master in his effort to create a revolution in education. And those to me, those are like 
even though you are being a teacher, what you're also participating in is being a disciple serving the guru's mission. How does that, how do you feel about that? Do you think about it that way? I think I absolutely feel that that, I mean, that is the heart of it. And we talked, I think maybe last week about how much personally I feel um, the work in education, education for life is tied to my, um, my soul evolution and what I, um, what I can offer in service. Um, I think, you know, when we're, when we're talking about creating a way of, um, of learning or creating an environment where we're, we're not looking purely at educating the mind, although that is a, a very important aspect of what we're doing, we're actually looking at growth of the soul. And so teachers in the work that we do are not just looking at students from one angle, but really trying to see all of the facets of their nature and help them develop and refine and move forward. It takes a level of resonance, of attunement, both for the, well, I shouldn't say both, but for the teacher, for the student and for the family. Um, and there needs to be a, um, a harmony and a clear openness and receptivity to doing this kind of depth of work. And it's, it's maybe not something that all will, will resonate with in this moment in time, um, but what we're doing is really soul growth um, and soul transformation through the vehicle of learning and, um, and socializing and finding our own personal dharmas and all of those things. But if we can awaken that in, in students learning in their life experience, um, then education becomes very full. And so I think when we pick it up from that string um, and if there is readiness in the student, in the family, in the, the teaching community, um, or I could say learning community because teachers are always learning, then it, it becomes a pathway towards spiritual development. Um, so do you, you see, I, I have this, um, I have a zealot nature and I've been part of building Ananda for you know, decades and decades now. I have this profound intuitive belief in, in the fact that we're laying the groundwork for, for Dwapara Yuga, for a new civilization. Now, on one hand, when I asked Swamiji once, what is Ananda's mission? He answered me, to have fun, because he really didn't want, he doesn't want, you know, this self-important, we are the saviors of the planet. He, he, you know, he's fiercely against that. And that's oxymoronic in the context of what we're trying to do. At the same time, Master was an avatar, and the first thing he did when he started work was education. Can you feel, I mean, in, in any, how do you feel that when you're sitting there with your small classroom trying to be in tune with what Master wants? It, it, you don't even have to respond yes to this, but how do you feel it? I think um, I think for if we're really truly talking about inner transformation, mm -hmm. um, then 
we have to go back to the principle that you can only offer someone else what you have inside of yourself or have relationship to um, inside of yourself. And so we, we have to, you can't get the kind of inner learning and growth by having a new laboratory building or gymnasium or enormous campus or the newest technologies, although all of those are wonderful avenues for, um, for learning. They can be tools for that, but you have to start with the teachers and you have to start with the families who recognize that there is so much more to learning, to life, to education than filling the mind or lighting a spark, even, um, you know, students knowing how to learn and being alive with learning is profoundly powerful. Um, but it goes even beyond that. And you have to have uh, people who are ready to step into supporting this kind of inner work and transformation so that we really are looking at a consciousness shift rather than simply stepping into the newest, um, I'm gonna use the word fad, although I don't mean it trivially, but um, the newest approach to learning that may be coming out of, you know, recently there's, there's just all sorts of different trends in education and we're always trying to find what is the best technique and tool. And those are, it's important to always be looking at how can we improve, but it starts with the consciousness of the staff that's working with children and being able to have an inner core, um, um, a, a consciousness that can then see their inner self and help draw them out. Well, you know, in the light of the fact that we're talking to each other in, on Zoom rather than talking in person because we're in the midst of this COVID pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. and everybody's trying to pretend that we're just going to reopen the economy and we're just going to roll on as normal, but there's an extreme possibility that the future is not going to be like the past, even already, and this is you know ironic, what you learn in the eighth grade is absolutely obsolete by the time you start college, and by the time you finish your long PhD program, who knows whether anything you know is even considered to be uh, mainstream knowledge anymore. So could you say, and of course, this is what Yogananda, this is what Master has said, is that we're preparing children for a very different world. And what are the skills of the different world? Uh, how, does, is that, does that resonate with you? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of what we're actually trying to do is cultivate inner qualities inside of uh, students so that they can adapt and be resilient and move in harmony and know how to walk through the world with supportive leadership skills and how to, um, there's a, there's a yoga asana that um, we use often in our practice with the high schoolers and it's, uh, it's eagle pose, Garudasana. And the affirmation is, at the center of life's storms, I stand serene. Hmm. And that, I mean, it's just a perfect image for, um, for all of us 
globally, especially now, um, but for teens who are going through such a tumultuous time in their lives and for younger children who have such intense emotions, um, if, if we can actually learn to stand centered amidst life's storms, um, if we can carry these inner qualities forward with us and the capacity to be um, not just okay, but to thrive amidst life's challenges, amidst new circumstances and ever-changing realities, then we're equipped to keep navigating forward. So yes, a lot of technologies, a lot of scientific discoveries and things, they're, they're obsolete within a few years you know, of their discovery. And then we're moving into new understandings and new developments. Um, having that flexibility to be able to learn new things is vital. Certainly knowing how to learn is key. Um, but all of, all of the learning that's happening takes us back to those principles of how do I, how do I move through the world so that I have access to what I need when I need it. How do you, how do you help a high school student in the midst of some tumultuous crisis stand on shaking? Unshaken is the last thing that occurs to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as we're going through this time, I think a few things really, really stand out. Um, connection uh, is, is a word that I'm going to hold at the center of all of this, and I mean it in several ways. One being knowing that you have access to and are a part of a caring community that knows you, that sees you, that is invested in supporting you fully. Um, I think that's enormous. I think also the ability to feel connection with yourself, to know yourself. Um, we, are, we are so busy asking our young people to do things, to cram in assignments and extra practice and you know, if you have a spare moment, you should be studying and preparing for this and for that. They don't have time to step back and even breathe, let alone look at themselves and think, who am I? What enlivens me? What do I want to do with my life? What are, you know, what is this all about anyway? We're just so fast on this track, um, going towards some far off distant success you know, or series of successes that we think will bring us happiness that many of our students, many of our kids, they've never sat back and, and been invited into, well, what is it that enlivens me? Mm -hmm. What do I want? How do I step into ownership of my learning and my life rather than just um, trying to check the boxes of what someone else has told me is important? Do you find it difficult to get the children or some of them to turn their attention inward? Are they afraid to do it? Are they unable to do it? How would you describe it? I think it's probably the journey that many of us have, have walked. Um, you know, some, I think we all find our inner connection in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it comes through uh, different activities and experiences um, for different people at different times. Some some children, some teenagers, some adults are very receptive to experimenting with meditation, to um, learning through um, centering practices. Other people, they haven't, they haven't had 
the tangible experience of the benefit. And so there is a, a natural resistance or um, disinclination, um, but it's all directional. And so, yeah, as we were talking about in a previous conversation, what we're trying to create for them are directionally expansive experiences mm-hmm. so that they are self-informed and have tools that they can go back to and apply when and if they're needed in their lives. So yeah, sometimes there's res- uh, resistance. Other times there's very open receptivity to experimenting and trying new things. Would you say that you've witnessed uh, a lot of transformation among the children that you've worked with over the years? Every year, every year. year. You know, um, it doesn't really matter the age, um, but students that come into an education for life environment, we have living wisdom schools here in Palo Alto, but around the globe, there are educational communities based on the principles of education for life. Um, and I don't, I don't know all of the processes that create this dynamic for young people, but I see first grade children transferring into our programs and they are already so guarded and protective of themselves that it can take, you know, for some of them, it takes a week or two for others, a few months or a year to start stripping away all of these protective mechanisms that they've built up because they don't they haven't been moving through um, a life experience that honors them, that sees them and creates a safe place for them to be who they are. Mm -hmm. And watching that stripping away process until there's this far more free, radiant, dynamic, unique, creative person in front of you, someone who is alive and engaged and ready to... um, just be present in their life. It's, it's one of the most beautiful things I've witnessed and I've seen it year in and year out. Um, I think when you come into a space where people look for, affirm and see your highest potential um, and the, the natural light that is in you and that's what you're, is reinforced again and again. Um, it's one of the most transformational things I've ever witnessed or been a part of. You know, if you think of that from the point of view of revolution, which is like, I like to think in terms of revolution, you can see how one by one by one, and each one creates a vortex around themselves and then is able to affirm others, and then those affirming others affirm others. I've always felt that in my dedicated life to change consciousness, I'm the most politically active person I know. Mm-hmm. Because, th- yeah, go ahead. I think that's, I think this is a, a, a grassroots movement of transforming consciousness and it is the only way that we're going to find real, lasting, deep change societally. Right, I, I've, I've observed and have commented Everything we need to make a perfect society globally is present. What's not present is the will to do it. Or even the awareness. Mm-hmm. I think there's just, in, for many, there's, there's never been an exposure to enough of this kind of um, consciousness that, that people even know that it's something that they could want ah. or strive for. 
That's a very, very good point. I really appreciate that. So I'm going to just go to a, a, a mundane question because I know it's something, our high school is quite small. You know, we, we have what, 15 students, maybe less, you know, small yeah. number. So most people think in order to have quality, you have to have quantity, meaning a small school, how could there be enough in a small school? So I, I know you've experienced both, both lived it and also been a teacher in this. Can you comment about that? Like, oh, I would flip it on its head actually um, mm -hmm. and say, how can there be enough in a, in a large community? I mean, in, in talking with many friends who work in other educational settings, they see anywhere, you know, whether it's a, a kindergarten teacher who has 35 children in the classroom or, um, you know, a middle school, high school teacher that has five periods of 30 to 40 students each, they're seeing, you know, they're seeing hundreds of children every day. How, how can there be enough? How can you see into and know each person well enough that you're not just teaching them grammatical structure or formulas or a, a physics concept. Those are important. They're vital. Um, if we want to understand the world and move through our society as it is. Um, but they can't see into the heart of each person and understand their motivations and why the students you know, struggle when they struggle and why they're thriving and how to help them move forward. Um, so Really, I mean, one of the the core um, aspects of what we offer is small community. And certainly there's opportunity for expansion and more and more and more, we hope, uh, students will have access to what is offered through an Education for Life, whether that's in the setting of um, you know, a nonprofit school like what we're offering or whether it's teachers being empowered with this kind of these tools and this consciousness and taking it into public schools and larger schools but more and more we want people to have access to this but you can't do it well in the context of huge groups of people you just can't mm -hmm. um, and so finding ways where there is more personal connection and and deep work together uh, I think is one of the ways that we need to to be looking together as you know first changing and working on ourselves as educators children families you know this is this is the uh this is the nature of revolution jesus had 12 disciples <laughs> there's a in the history that's related to yogananda's path there was a monastery in Cluny, France, at the time of William the Conqueror. The whole church was in disarray, and monasticism was in disarray. Twelve monks started a monastery there. The abbot was a previous incarnation of Sri Teshwar. This is a little esoteric for a broader audience, but nonetheless, historically, the entire uh, Catholic Church, the entire, the entire history of Christianity, architecture, music, literature, was all transformed starting with those 12 months because, because they were loyal to a very high ideal and they carried it out with power. And then one by one. So here we are at a very critical juncture in seemingly in global history. So 
without self-importance, but with confidence. Um, you stand in that, you stand in that yourself. I've asked you this already today, but say it, say it to me again. I do. I think the heart of what we're doing is something that needs to be made available to, to people everywhere. I, our children, I mean, here in Silicon Valley, I read an article recently that, um, that talked about the, um, the, the rigorous high achieving school environments here in the Valley as being toxic uh, toxic environments where students are are actually being damaged um, and in in the article and then in talking with several families that are looking at alternatives there are there are therapeutic boarding schools um, many out of state that serve children who have been so uh, incapacitated by the intensity and the stress and the anxiety that they experience in these learning learning environments um, that, that they become dysfunctional. They cannot continue to thrive. Um, and I, I think more and more, it starts with, you know, when you're, when you're looking at changing the entire trajectory of something that has, is very, very established, it takes first either visionaries who can imagine a, a brighter, better way or people who have been so harmed by the current circumstance that they have to look for something else. Um, but once you get past that initial stage, people begin to see possibility um, and to move in the direction of that expansiveness. And I think that's right where we are on the, the cusp of, of opening to. Um, so there's a lot of movements in terms of how do we expand and transform education. And I see so many positive things happening in many different um, learning environments. But I think bringing it always back to the core of consciousness and intuitive connection between um, people in a learning community is really where we have to start if we're talking about soul transformation. Fabulous, Kashama. Just a real pleasure to talk with you. This is a subject that is so dear to my heart that I've only been peripherally involved in personally. So I feel deeply gratified to see you so immersed in it. Thank you very much. God bless you.